two weeks away to Christmas. You know, the thing that, that's interesting about Christmas compared to, to most all other holidays is that Christmas has a way of engaging and enticing all of your senses. I mean, think about it. There's the sights of Christmas lights. How many Christmas light people risk their life to go out and get them on your, on your house? Yes, there's Christmas lights, there's decorations. It's the time of the season that my kids don't mind going for a ride in the car because they love to look at the lights in the neighborhood. And as we travel through town, we see the sights of Christmas. We can also smell Christmas, right? There's the evergreens. Uh, or for those of you who have fake trees, there's the, uh, there's the evergreen candle or scentsy wax that makes your house smell of evergreen or, or peppermint, or there's cookies baking, or there's, there's candy making taking place, and there's the smells of Christmas. There's also the sounds of the Christmas carols being sung on the radio station, or the carolers that come by your neighborhood. There's the sounds of excited children getting ready for Christmas morning. There's the sound of merry greetings when it seems to be the time of the day that we can be friendly to other people. We actually greet them, look them in the eye, and, and say Merry Christmas to them. There's also the, the tastes of, of Christmas, the Christmas cookies. Hopefully you're baking and getting ready to bring to our, to our cookies, carols and cocoa, to share with us that night. But there's the, the Christmas goodies, there's the treats, the holiday coffees and eggnogs and whatever else that you taste at Christmas. And there's also the feel of Christmas. Not only that magical feeling we have that brings us back to our childhood internally, but there's that feel of the prickly pines and wrapping paper and velvet and all the ways that Christmas invades our senses. It really is the most wonderful time of the year as the song goes on. But my only concern is that we get so caught up in the sights and the sounds and the smells and the tastes of Christmas that we overlook the rather ordinary yet extraordinary simple truth of Christmas. So as we approach the Christmas season, what do you see? What do you see? You know, are you seeing Christmas clearly? Because one of the things we're going to explore today is that seeing Christmas clearly will bring clarity to your life. Seeing it clearly will bring clarity to the, the, to the situations you're going through right now. And in the words of the famous Christmas carol that was so beautifully sung, Do You See What I See? is the series we're kicking off. We're going to spend the next three weeks on this series of Do You See What I See? Because that first Christmas had some very different sights, sounds, smells. As you think about the Luke chapter 2 recording of the birth of Christ, I don't think the things you would smell in that very first Christmas would be the makings of a very successful Christmas candle, unless hay and cow manure would be a smell we'd want to smell. And think of the other sights and the sounds of that first Christmas, very different than what we think of and celebrate today. But this morning, I, I, I hope to help each one of us see Christmas differently. Perhaps clearly, more clearly than you ever have before in a message titled today, Do You See? Do you see? Because when you look at Christmas, do you see it as God sees it? As you look at Christmas, do you even see it as those who have come to fall in love with Christ and the, the Christ of Christmas? Do you see it as he sees it? So today we're going to take a look at Christmas, maybe a bit differently than you would have heard about in a Christmas series before. So we're going to look at some of the elements of Christmas, 
that you might find in a nativity scene at your house. How many have some kind of nativity scene you, you have out either in the front yard or it's a, it's a little figurine set you put up with a fireplace or on a coffee table and it, you got the stable and the manger and you got a star perhaps that you hang on top of the manger or wherever you happen to hang it, you got all of the characters. Today, to kind of zoom in for a moment, not to the people of Christmas, but we'll get there, Not to the people of that first Christmas story, but we're going to look at something rather ordinary because through this we're going to learn something, I think, extraordinary as we think about viewing Christmas. So first I challenge you to see the stable. See the stable. It's a reminder that Jesus is with us in the real world. Over here you you see a silhouette scene of the stable. We're going to look at Luke chapter 2. Because in this very famous Christmas passage, we see the humble birth of Jesus. So grab your Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, you can use your smart device and use the Bible app. And of course, you can follow along using that Bible app with our notes by going to menu, events, and then under live events, you'll, you'll find us there. And you can follow along with all the passages and notes there as well. But Luke chapter 2 says that in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And I just want to pause there. Why would Luke go through so much time to paint the picture? Because he wants us to understand that Jesus came at a real point in time, in real history, in our real world, in our real life. Okay? And it says, everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house of and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now, in Luke 2, we don't actually see the word stable, do we? You don't see it, but it's implied. Because of where they placed Jesus when he was born. Something you would find within a barn or a stable. So consider for a moment that stable. It was very ordinary, wasn't it? In fact, how often do you pay attention to barns that are located all around you? Perhaps some of you live out in the country or maybe some of you as you're traveling for Christmas you'll go on a country road Well, you'll see barn after barn after barn and while maybe the first barn you see is kind of, oh, that's kind of neat and cute, eventually what happens? All these barns just kind of blur into the background of farmland and, and they're just there. And can I remind you that this stable was very common. In fact, it was just like hundreds of other stables that would have been located in this very agricultural area of Galilee. Nothing special. It wasn't bedazzled. It wasn't somehow upscaled. It was just a stable, perhaps even a cave in the side of a mountain that shepherds would use to keep their sheep or other cattle. Nothing special. There was the smell of animals and hay. There was the damp and dark and rodent-infested space of a barn. And here's the thing I was thinking about. Since God coordinated this angelic announcement to shepherds, since God had had set a star in the sky or some kind of a celestial thing taking place that would get the attention of magi in the east, don't you think that God could have coordinated a room at the Hilton in Bethlehem for the birth of his son? I mean, think about it. 
The things that God did in, in announcing the birth of Jesus and in preparing the time of his coming as a baby, certainly it wasn't just like, oh, hey, angels, guess what? We forgot to book a room for Jesus at the Hilton, right? It wasn't like some kind of an oversight. I mean, God in his power certainly could have done something different, but here's the thing. He chose not to. He chose not to. He chose the stable for his son to be born in for a very important reason, a reason I don't want us to miss. Because when God sent Jesus into our world, he intentionally decided not to shelter him from the realities of this life. He intentionally chose not to have Jesus shielded by having him born into the lifestyles of the rich and famous. Christmas for us, especially here in America, is full of so many fairy tale stories. And, and I think we could have pictured a story where the Son of God would be born in a very magical kind of place and, and it would be a beautiful story. In fact, that's why we enjoy Christmas stories. I mean, it's how many of you are Hallmark Channel watchers and you're catching all the Christmas specials? Why? We like those. Why? Because it's kind of an escape. Right? There's happy stories, happy endings. I happen to like the kids' shows with you know, all the cartoons and animation. I like those. And, and then because there's these, these fairy tale settings and it's very magical and there's always a happy ever after to these stories. And, I, and, and it's good for us, especially as Westerners here. Why? Because for a moment we can push pause on the harsh reality of life and kind of imagine life being differently with a happy ever after. And so we enjoy these fairy tales because they, they help us to escape from the harsh reality of life. But here's the deal. Jesus wasn't born in a fairy tale kingdom. He was born in the harsh realities of life. And I think we just sometimes miss that, don't we? We miss it that the King of kings and Lord of lords, Jesus, was born in the most humblest of manners. Why? Because he wants us to know I'm here in the real world, experiencing real life. He was born right in the midst of life and all of its brokenness. And the father determined not to shelter his son from the rude and crude realities of this life. And here's the deal. The stable reminds us that God sent Jesus to live in the real world with us. Remember what he was to be called? His name will be called Emmanuel, because here's the truth. God is with us in the realities of life. His beginning was humbler than most of us. Not too many of us were born in a barn, although I think my parents asked me a few times if I was born in a barn. Perhaps your parents have asked you too because you left the front door open, right? But not many of us had that kind of humble beginning. He was born into a real family. I mean, think about it. Worked a real construction job as he grew up. He lived in a real neighborhood. He had real friends. He, he suffered real hardships like many of us have suffered. And yet here's something different. He died a very painful death for a crime he never committed. So when the Bible tells us and, in fact, urges us to pour out our hearts to Jesus when life gets hard and the struggles of life seem too intense, in fact, Hebrews tells us that we have a priest who is acquainted with our suffering. Jesus understands. He was born into the harsh reality of life. Think about it. When he was just a toddler, even after he was born, he was a refugee. His father, well, his foster dad, I guess you'd call Joseph. His foster dad and Mary and Jesus fled Bethlehem because the king was on a hunt to take his life. 
and they live as refugees in Egypt. So he was a refugee. He lived life without advantage. He, he wasn't given any hands up. He lived in poverty. He lived in discrimination. He lived in oppression. He lived in rejection, ridicule, abandonment, death, physical pain. All of these are things that Jesus experienced firsthand. It wasn't just he kind of sees our pain. He lived it. He felt it. And as you listen to that list, there's not many of those kinds of things that are too different from some of your lives. He knows. So what does your real life feel like this Christmas? Maybe your real life right now feels very broken. It feels very painful. Maybe you feel rejected, ridiculed. What does your real life feel like? Because here's what you have to do. See the stable. See the stable. It's a reminder that Christmas, that Jesus understands that he's been there, that he can identify, that he can help you. And I think an interesting side note is I was thinking about the stable. I began to realize that your significance doesn't come from where you were born. I know some of you maybe were wishing you were born into a different family. Maybe you, were, you wish you were born in a different city, in a, in a different social status. Maybe in a different financial picture, you wish you were born differently because maybe life would be different. But here's the thing. Significance does not come from where you are born. Significance is not a, is not a product of your environment. Significance happens when we find ourselves under God's leadership in our life, whatever that might bring. And for Jesus, his birth was very insignificant an obscure village in Bethlehem. But yet, was he significant to God? You bet he was because of who he was and the place that God had for him in his purpose. And friends, your significance is not based on your environment, where you were born, how you were born, what family you were born into. Your significance is found in the one who loves you, has a plan for you. When you find yourself in that place, there's significance. So see the stable. Jesus was with us in the realities of life. I also want you this, this morning to see the star, to see the star. It's about finding God in very unexpected places. We have a nice little star here above the stable. And in Matthew chapter 2, we see the story of these wise men, these magi, who traveled from the east because of what they saw in the sky. So open your Bibles, uh, if you will, to Matthew chapter 2. And we see that after Jesus was born in Bethlehem and Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw a star in the east and have come to worship him. Then King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem and Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them when the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and make careful search for the child. And as soon as you find him, report it to me, so that I too may go and worship him. And after they had heard the king and went their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. And on coming to the house, 
they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their gifts, their treasures, and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. I was reading a book by leadership guru John Maxwell, and he was speaking about Christmas, and he posed a great question. The question was this, what happens when you follow a star and it leads you to a stable? How do you react when you see something heavenly in the sky and yet it brings you to a most unexpected place? I think every one of us has at some time in life followed a star. Maybe for some it was your childhood dream. I always wanted to be. In fact, for me, I always wanted to be a firefighter. So I had that star out in front of me. And, and after high school and I graduated, I went to college to become a paramedic and firefighter. And I began to pursue that, only to discover that that wasn't what God had planned for me. It was a star, but it led me to a very unexpected place as I was wrestling with my life purpose and going, God, I, I've always wanted to be this. What's going on? And he altered my course. Maybe for some of you, that, that star was a relationship, a person you found that you felt, if I, if I just find this right person, they'll complete me. And so you, you chased after that star, and you, you entered that relationship only to discover that that person was flawed just like you were. And that relationship would have pain and disappointment and hurts. And maybe you followed a star, and it led you to an unexpected place. Or for others, it might have been a business pursuit. You felt like you, you had a stab at doing something in the community, and so you stepped into business, and that was the star in front of you, but it led you to a very unexpected place. All of us, I think, have followed a star, only discovered that it has led us to a place we didn't really want to go in the first place. So how do we respond to that? I mean, I want you to think about this through the lens of, of these wise men who saw this star. They were in the middle, they were in their country 900 plus miles away from Bethlehem. This wasn't like just traveling from East Bethlehem to the west side of Bethlehem, okay? This was a long journey, lots of provision and, and time spent preparing, and they made that journey 900 miles. And where did they go when they arrived in the area? They went to Jerusalem. That was the important place, right? That's where stuff happens. That's the capital, so to speak, of the Jewish world. It's there where the temple is. It's there where King Herod lives. In fact, he goes to King Herod because it's like, hey, if something this big is happening, it has to be happening in the palace of King Herod. And so he goes, and where's the one born king of the Jews, right? He's, he's looking in an expected place for what they had followed the star for, only to discover it wasn't there. In fact, it was just six miles south of Jerusalem in a little obscure village called Bethlehem. It was almost like, you know, have you ever followed, you know, Google Maps or maybe Apple Maps and you put in an address and it drops a pin where the address is supposed to be? But yet when you start traveling, you discover that pin's in the wrong place. It's almost like God put the pin in the wrong place. The star should have been over Jerusalem because that's where important stuff happens. That's where really big things happen. That's what they had hoped to see, but they discovered that wasn't it. So they follow the star that they see again, and it, and it leads them south, this little village. How do you respond when a star 
It leads you to a stable. Is this what the Magi expected, the one born king of the Jews? What happens when we follow a star and it leads us to a stable? I think there are some things that I've learned. That when the wise men followed a star and led them to a stable, they found God in the midst of it. How many times do we look at our circumstance that wasn't what we'd hoped, a place we were taken to that wasn't what we expected, and yet God is right there. He's in it. He's working in that circumstance. So the wise men, they looked for God. God's got to be here somewhere. And so they see this newborn baby, maybe a little older now because they had moved from Kind of outside in the stable, they've moved into the house because once Bethlehem's population went back down after the census, they, they found some more appropriate accommodations for this baby Jesus. Something else I discovered about these, that when the wise men find a stable, instead of, instead of what they had hoped for, they offer their very best. How many times when, when life has taken you to an unexpected place, you've wanted to withhold because you were angry? You were frustrated. You didn't give your very best. In fact, when that relationship didn't quite take the turn you'd hoped it was, you pulled back. When the circumstances of your provision take a different turn, you're like, God, what's going on? What do you do? You hold back. We don't offer our best. But the wise men, they offered their best, even in an unexpected place. And when wise men find a stable, they change their direction. I'm sure you've heard it preached before. They went home by another way. Yeah, they took a different route because they had a vision. Not to go home the same way they came, not to go back to Herod. But here's the deal. Something in that circumstance changed them. How many have experienced one of those stable events and it changed you? Maybe it changed your perspective. Maybe you looked at life differently. Some of you, when you followed a star and went to a stable, you, you got mad and you're frustrated. In fact, maybe you're still there right now because you don't see God in the midst of it. You're not offering your best and you're not allowing him to change you. Is it possible that God is in the stuff of our circumstances, and within that, he's trying to change us? So what happens when you follow a star and it takes you to stable? Here's what happens. You learn from, from, from cues from the wise men. You see God in it, even if you have to look and feel a little harder. You offer your best, and you change. You allow the work God wants to do in your life. When we come to the stable in our lives, here's the point. Let us be wise and remember to look for God. Maybe right now you're in that stinky stable. Life is hard. It's not what you expected. Here's what I want you to do. Stop and look for God. Look for God. Because he's there. Why? Because he's God with us in that stable, in that situation. David said there's no place that we can go from his presence, right? He's there. Look for him. Because he loves you and he cares. And I also want you to challenge you this morning to see the manger. See the manger. It's a place where the ordinary becomes extraordinary. In Luke chapter 2, verse 7, there's that one verse, you've already read it, but it said that she gave birth to her firstborn, a son, and what happened? She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger. 
How often do you use the word manger? I mean, for most of us, it's, well, I read from Luke chapter 2, and so I said manger. Or we have the nativity scene at home, and so we have a manger. It's a word we use about once a year, usually around, of course, Christmas. It's not every day you're talking about a manger. You don't go to your workplace and talk about the manger you have back home. I mean, it's not a part of our everyday life, is it? The only reason we know what a manger is is because of Luke chapter 2. And here's the deal. The manger was not some name brand for a first century bassinet in which you put babies, okay? A manger wasn't the name of a kingly cradle that you put newborn princes in. A manger was a feeding trough for an animal, as most of you know, a very common, ordinary piece of farm equipment. But yet, the reason we all know the word manger is because of how that manger was used. What happened? God placed his son in that manger. And when God laid his son in that manger, look what happened to an ordinary piece of farm furniture. It became extraordinary. We sing songs about it, right? Away in a... Right? We sing songs about it. We read about it in Scripture. Why? Because of what happened in that manger. All of a sudden, it has new dignity. It's a household word. It has new purpose. The ordinary has become extraordinary. A feeding trough becomes a cradle for a king, and that's quite a transformation that takes place for a piece of farm equipment. So I want you to see the manger because it's a symbol of what can happen to an ordinary man or an ordinary woman when Jesus Christ is birthed within us. It's a symbol of what has happened to millions of people around the world, very ordinary people, people a lot like you and me. People who once in their life, maybe they were trying their best to always be good and and do their best, but found themselves always falling short. Maybe people like you who who are, are keeping up good appearances while you're hiding your pain and your brokenness. Or maybe it's trying to behave well publicly, but privately you're wrestling with addiction and sin. People who are surrounded by lots of other people yet feel very alone. Who wear a smile but wrestle with depression, who own lots of stuff, lots of toys, but never feel satisfied, who appear to have everything all together, but inwardly their world's fallen apart. Maybe you've been a person like that before too. And these are the people who saw themselves for who they really were, saw themselves as lawbreakers in the eyes of God, that they were sinners, that they were broken and they needed a Savior. And so in their brokenness, they didn't try to hide it. They didn't lie about it anymore. They they just recognized as ordinary people, they brought their ordinary selves to God, and they realized they were powerless to change themselves. They couldn't erase their past record. They couldn't improve their current behavior. And chances are they weren't going to be any better in the future when it came to their character. So what did they do? They brought themselves before a Savior and pleaded for grace and mercy and discovered forgiveness and discovered that grace and that hope. They became new creations. The old was gone, the new has come. They were transformed. See, here's the thing. When Jesus Christ dwells in our hearts by his spirit, our ordinary life gives way to the extraordinary. We cannot underestimate this, friends. God 
dwells in you by the Spirit of God. A manger was transformed because of the contents of that manger. Your life, friends, is transformed because of the contents of your life. You are now a temple of the Holy Spirit. God dwells in you. Those that are saved are born again, are new creations. The old is gone, the new is come. We're transformed. But not only are we transformed, friends, we have a new purpose. We have a new identity, yes, we're sons and daughters of God, but we also have a new purpose. See, when, when that manger was sitting in front of Mary and Joseph, the purpose of that manger all of a sudden took on a new kind, right? It wasn't now going to be to feed the animals. It became a resting place for Jesus. The truth is that once you follow Jesus, your life might not look that much different. You still have the same job you go to. You maybe even still have the same income that you made prior to coming to Jesus. You still have the same skills, abilities, talents. But how many know that when we come to Jesus, he breathes fresh purpose into your skills, your abilities, your resources? In fact, I I would say that a lot of us cannot fully become all that God intended until we find our purpose in him at salvation. And all of a sudden, those skills, those talents, those resources, we begin to look at differently through the lens of purpose and go, you know what? God has a plan not only for my life but for my stuff to be used for his purpose. And so it it transforms how we look at things through the lens of God's purpose. Why? Because the Spirit of God dwells in us. We are repurposed for his glory. And it will cause you to view each day differently. And it's only when we embrace this new purpose that God has for us that we can see the extraordinary tucked away in each and every day. And the truth is, it's there. It's tucked away. There's things that God has for you to do. Extraordinary things. Because He has a new purpose for you. He has a mission and a plan for you. See the manger. And see the fact that the ordinary in the hands of God becomes extraordinary. And when Jesus is birthed in us, it transforms not only our identities, but our purpose. So do you see? Do you see Christmas maybe a bit differently today than you have before by looking at common things like a star, a manger, a stable? Do you see it the way God sees it? You know, do you see the stable? Christ knows your struggle. He knows what you're going through right now. He's been there. Do you see the star? Look for God in those unexpected places where life has brought you to a point you don't understand. But God is there. Look at the manger because he's still doing extraordinary things with your ordinary self and my ordinary self. So do you see? Because here's the thing about this. Seeing Christmas clearly really does bring clarity to your life. All of a sudden, you look at your circumstances, you look at your life, and you see it a little more clearly. It's like if, if God would repurpose mangers and stables and stars, certainly he could repurpose me and what I'm going through. It, it helped me look at my circumstances differently. It brings remarkable clarity to your life when you see Christmas clearly. So do you see? And if you see, 
and how is it going to change you this Christmas?